you guys would um, turn to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to spend the rest of the summer looking at this sermon called the Sermon on the Mount. We've already began it before Palm Sunday and Easter looking at the Beatitudes. But let me just kind of give shape the, the context. We're going to read what we did to, this morning. I'm just going to, I started studying this last Sunday and then by like Thursday I was pretty much at the point where I was like, wait, what God? What does this mean? Right? And then I really feel like over the last few days maybe God's given me a little bit bigger of a picture. So hopefully there's, I, hopefully I got it right. Um, and But you can figure out um, along with me as, as we study. But the bigger picture is this. It's the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Jesus has about a two and a half to three and a half year ministry on this earth. He rallies some people and his, 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 basically his congregation gets really big and then really small and really big and really small for like three and a half years. He's performing miracles that nobody could deny and he's claiming to be God. Some people uh, don't like it. Some people do like it. Most people haven't figured it out, right? It's kind of like today, okay? Who is this Jesus? He gets out, it says in, on, in Matthew chapter 5, and, he, and, he, and he's up on a mountain, and he's preaching to a huge crowd. We don't know exactly how big the crowd is because it doesn't tell us, but a lot of experts think it's upwards to 5,000 or more people. So he's up on this hillside right by the Sea of Galilee, and he's preaching he's a message, and we have all the words of the message, uh, and, and that's pretty rare for Jesus, uh, for the Gospels, and so it's pretty cool. We have a, a whole message that Jesus preaches, right? And he preaches to like 5,000. We could think, how does he do that? If you go to Israel, and Reuben could probably tell you, there's a spot that they'll show you where literally you could stand there and you can, and you can speak, and it's a natural amphitheater. And, and like they, 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 they say over 5,000 people could hear you clearly on any given day from this spot. And we don't know that that's the exact spot, but it's probably a good guess, right? That that's where Jesus is sharing this. And he's talking to uh, people who are primarily Jewish. How do Jewish people think at this point? This is important for you to understand. The Jewish people, they basically have this idea that righteousness, being right with God, how to live in a way that's pleasing to God, is basically summed up like this. Strict adherence to the Mosaic law. The more you do the Mosaic law, the better of a person that you are. And the problem is, is nobody could agree on, on the interpretations of the Torah. So you have all of these different groups, and they're always arguing about how to interpret the Torah, how to keep the Sabbath, how to do all of these things. You have all these different groups, and, and they judge each other, and they judge everyone else based on how well you follow the law. And it, honestly, it looks like the church looks like a lot today. We have all these different denominations, and everyone's got their way of doing things, right? And we, and we judge each other based on, on, on how you do your thing, right? And that's kind of how, how it was. Righteousness was how f- you followed the law, and it was very confusing, and not everyone would ever agree with you because everyone had kind of their own way to do it, right? And then out in this, this area called Capernaum, you had just like the blue-collar workers, and they're trying to live real lives. They don't have time to spend 40 or 50 hours a week arguing about the law. They have to actually farm and fish. And, and all these people show up, and Jesus is going to be preaching this sermon. And basically what he's doing is he's preaching a sermon that is planting a seed that is going to help a new people become a kingdom. They're going to help a new people, the same people that we're trying to figure it out. He's trying to help them 
learn a new way, Jesus' way, of becoming kingdom people. So this year we've been, our, 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 our theme is kingdom people. And our last series was about becoming. And now our series is about from the inside out. Because that's what you're going to see in the Sermon on the Mount. Is Jesus is going to say the, the, the Mosaic law was from the outside. It was trying to regulate people and teach them how to live pleasing to God based on following a set of rules. And he's saying it's not working. He's saying what we need is we need a new way of doing things. And so he flips everything upside down in this sermon, right? And he starts with a new way of, of evaluating what it is to live a blessed life. We all have ideas. This, I would be more blessed if I had more money, if I had a better job, or if I had, right? We, we all try to figure it out, and he's saying, no. There's a new way, the way that God sees things, a different way of seeing and evaluating what a blessed life is. And then he goes, and our mission, and it's really been the mission from the Old Testament too, our mission is in the world to be a light and to be salt. Well, here's the thing that you would have had to ponder is, what's the source of the light? What's the source of this light? Is Jesus saying, hey, go out on your own and try to shine brighter? No, there has to be a source of the light. And how do you get salty? How do you get salty? Anyone know? He's, he's not saying, hey, on your own, somehow act more salty and be more bright, be more happy. He's, he's not saying that. He's saying there's this new source of light. The, God is the source of light. And God is the source of how to become salty. And it happens from the inside out. And so at this point, people are starting to look at Jesus and have started to evaluate him, right, and judge him. And some of the judgment that's coming against him is they're going to say, uh, he, doesn't, he doesn't follow the law. He abolishes the law. Or he's, 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 he's saying the law doesn't matter anymore. He's saying that the law that Moses gave us, that God gave to Moses as a mouthpiece, he's saying somehow that's bad? And they're trying to figure it out. <coughs> and, that's, and that's where we pick up today in verse 17, chapter 5. <coughs> Jesus follows up his, we need to have, be salt and light. And he says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. This is what you would call a hard saying. What is Jesus saying? Is he coming to people and saying, hey, you guys who think that you need to follow the law and that's the way to be right, you need to do a better job? Is that what he's saying? Is he, what is he, is he saying the, the law doesn't matter, there's something new? He's saying n something completely different. And you have to think like somebody who's Jewish to understand this. The first thing is he says is he goes, I didn't come to abolish the law, I came to fulfill the law and the prophets. How does Jesus fulfill the prophecies? First of all, we have to understand that we see this all throughout the Gospels, that these people misunderstand who the Messiah is going to be. 
They misunderstand what the prophecies are going to be. They think that the Messiah is going to come and and start a a revolution on this earth, defeat Rome, and reestablish the kingdom of Israel on earth. At least that's what they want. And Jesus doesn't do that. And they get frustrated with him. He says, my kingdom is not of this earth. My kingdom is something completely different. So how does Jesus fulfill the prophecies? He actually is the Messiah. He fulfills all of the the messianic prophecies. On Palm Sunday, we looked, when Jesus enters in the triumphal entry, he's riding on a donkey. He's fulfilling Zechariah chapter 9, right? He is fulfilling all the prophecies. Read Isaiah chapter 53 or Psalm 22, and you'll see that Jesus, in his life and death and resurrection, it was all predicted, and he did it to a T. He did it exactly the way it was predicted. He fulfilled all of the messianic prophecies. Well, what about the law? (laughs) How does he fulfill the law? Well, in your notes, we see this. Jesus is saying that Jesus cleans us from the inside out. The law was trying to clean you from the outside. It was behavior modification. But we need something that's going to go on the inside because the law is not the problem. What's the problem? Our inability to follow the law. And the law in the New Testament says the law was there to show you your inability to follow it and your need for something, a greater source. A need for a Messiah that's not going to come and change the kingdom on the outside. It's going to change you on the inside. He builds his kingdom from the inside out of his people. That's what he's saying. The Mosaic law has three basic parts. The first one, letter A in your notes, is there's a ceremonial law. The ceremonial law, when you look at the Mosaic law, is all about how the rituals and the offerings and the sacrifices that you would do in the temple in order to be clean before God. We are sinners and we need to be cleansed somehow in order to enter into God's presence. They knew that and they had a process. It was called the ceremonial law. How did Jesus fulfill the ceremonial law? He fulfilled it completely. That's what it says in Hebrews chapter 10. It, says, it uses the, a good way of, of, of understanding it as it says it like this. He did it once and for all. They used to have to continually go to the temple and continue to do it. And obviously it wasn't working because you wouldn't have to keep doing it. That's what it says in Hebrews chapter 10. And then Jesus comes along and he fulfills the ceremonial law once for all. So now, how do we become right with God? How do we become clean with God? We ask Jesus to forgive us of our sins. We repent. Now, how do we, how do we follow the, ceremonially lo- the c- ceremonial law? He didn't abolish it. It still exists. If you don't have Jesus, you're still, you're still in a bad way with God. But how do we get right with God now? Through Jesus Christ. Through his death on the cross. And as it says, Paul says in Colossians, we nail it to the cross. So now... When we realize every day that we're not right with God, that we continue to sin, that there's, there's still issues within us, how do we deal with it? There's only one way. We don't go to the temple and sacrifice a goat. We go to Jesus, we repent, and we receive forgiveness. His mercies are new every morning. 
So he fulfills the ceremonial law. And then you have the judicial law. The judicial law is basically the laws of the land. And Israel was its own nation, and it had some people that were following God and some people that weren't, and it needed to have laws, right? <coughs> we have laws, don't we? Right? Like, like you can't jaywalk, right? You can't speed, right? It's 50-50 whether you can smoke marijuana in California. I don't know. You, I know you can't grow it yet, right? But we have all of these laws. You still need to follow them. Right? The judicial law. Jesus fulfilled those. He followed them. They, they tried to question him, and he goes, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Should I pay taxes? That's a, just a judicial law. Yeah. Give to Caesar what's Caesar's. Jesus taught us to obey the laws of the land as long as they don't violate your conscience or your ability to follow Jesus. If someone comes and says, don't follow Jesus, that's why in some parts of the world, people meet secretly, and I believe Jesus smiles on that. Right? The church is still flourishing when the land says you can't follow Jesus. No one can tell you not to follow Jesus. But, but does that mean you can just walk across the street at, at wherever you want? No, that's jaywalking. Follow those rules. Right? We still, he didn't abolish the law. He still wants you to follow the judicial laws. And then you have moral laws. Moral laws are just things that are right and wrong forever. Right? Don't murder. That's never like gray area. Jesus didn't come and die on the cross so we can start murdering people, right? The moral law still stands. It has to do with, 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 with relationship, with lust, with faithfulness, with covenant marriage, with, with, with don't hate people, right? And how do we do that? We gossip, right? We, and, and, we, and we get jealous, right? All those moral laws still stand. Jesus didn't come to abolish them. He came to help us follow the ones that matter still, the moral law. He came to wipe away our sin and, and fulfill the ceremonially law. And he, and he still wants you to follow the judicial law. So how, 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 do, how does Jesus fulfill the law? He does what we couldn't do. And he makes a way where, that we couldn't make. And the big picture is this. He's saying, I want to clean you from the inside out. You need me. You can't fall. You can't be right with God without me, he's saying. You need me. You needed me to come. I'm here. I'm going to live. I'm going to teach you some things. I'm going to die. And I'm going to and I'm, I'm going to I'm going to come back. And he's still here. Right. And we still count on this Jesus. So over the next several weeks, Jesus will teach us not to obey the minimum. But to obey wholeheartedly. Right. So we're going to be looking at some hard sayings about things like lust and anger and even even marriage and what is jesus feeling he's going to give you don't don't just obey the minimum but obey wholeheartedly but it has to be from the inside out and in matthew at the end of matthew in chapter 23 jesus talks about what does the what's the difference between the way the pharisees are trying to be righteous because he says in here he goes he goes, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Well, what did their, what did their righteousness look like if we got to do more than that? In chapter 23, he goes, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hip hypocrisy and lawlessness. What do these people need? 
We need to be clean from the inside out by Jesus. And they're trying to do it on their own. So Jesus cleans us from the inside out. And then the second thing that we see here is that the Holy Spirit changes us from the inside out. You starting to see a theme of why our, 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 our we're going to call this inside out? Jesus cleans us from the inside out. And then he transforms us through the Holy Spirit from the inside out. Now, how does this look like? In Romans chapter 8, verse 1 and 4, kind of gives us a good picture of this. It says this. <coughs> it says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Condemnation is like, is like something that would accuse you and make you not right. And he's saying, if you are in Christ Jesus, there's now no condemnation. Why? Because Jesus fulfilled all of the requirements of the ceremonial law, and now you can be right with God because Jesus died once and for all. He's already done what needed to be done. If we put our faith and our trust in Him, now there's no condemnation if you're in Christ Jesus. And then He says this. He says, For the law of the Spirit, the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. In other words, the, 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 the Mosaic law would show you what you were supposed to do, but you would very soon realize you can't do it. And so then what are you left doing? Faking it. Becoming a hypocrite. Trying to pretend like you're something you're not. And then judging other people, right? So he goes, he goes the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. It says, for God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. What does that mean? The law wasn't the problem. We, our inability, because of our, our sinful nature, our flesh, our inability to follow it was the problem. And then he says, by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, he became a human, and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. He died on a cross, all of all of our sin was imputed to him and nailed to the cross is what he's saying. In order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled. That's what Jesus said, right? He came to do that. In us, from the inside out. It has to be in us, not from an external standpoint. Who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. So basically, scripturally speaking, there's three ways of approaching life. The first one is this, legalistic living. Legalistic living is living, accord, is living according to a set of religious rules. The Mosaic Law was a, a set of religious rules to some people. To the people, they were trying to, they were trying to follow, they, they thought righteousness equals following this Mosaic Law. And it became, righteousness was living according to a set of religious rules. It became legalism, right? Now here's the problem with legalism. And you have to listen. If, you're, if your tendency is to be legalistic, which I, I, I am a little bit, and we probably all can relate to that a little bit, here's the problem. You'll never be good enough. You'll never be good enough. That's the problem. And then because you, you can't be good enough, the tendency is to start to fake it. To start to work the rest of your religion and your life becomes trying to get other people to see how good you are. You're trying to 
you're trying to get other people to think you're better than you know you really are. And that feels fake, and it feels lonely. And then what happens over time is you start to judge other people. You create a new standard. If you can't live, follow the law perfectly, what you do is you find other people who follow it worse than you, and you judge yourself based on them. You start, that's what Jesus says, don't judge people. He means don't live in this standard where you find people who are really bad at life, and then that makes you feel better about yourself. And that, is that righteousness? That's righteous kingdom living? That's what he's saying. <coughs> so we start to see what you become, the end fruit of legalism is hypocrisy. You become a hypocrite. Because nobody can do it, and if you're pretending like you can do it when you can't do it, is that real? No, it's hypocritical. So that was one of the things that Jesus says is wrong with the way that the Pharisees' righteousness was, was they were hypocrites because they were legalistic. The second one is this, licentious living. If you're not legalistic, what are you going to do? You're going to be licentious living. That's living according to your own passions and appetites. Licentiousness means you're giving yourself license to do whatever you want. That's when we say, just do what makes you happy. YOLO, right? Just fall. You know what you should do? You should just follow your heart. Just do what makes number one happy, right? And you're number one, right? That's licentious living. It's doing whatever you want to do. This is a form of lawlessness. What's the two things that was wrong with, with their, their, the, these Pharisees? It says in Matthew 23, they were hypocrites and they were lawless. They were, go, they were bouncing, either, either we're going to follow these rules or we're going to make up our own rules and do whatever we want. And Jesus is saying, you guys are kind of doing both, right? You're kind of doing both. Is there a third way of living? Yes, that's what the Sermon on the Mount is all about. He's saying there is an option number three. Either you're going to be legalistic or you're going to be lawless, and there's only one other option. You're going to be spirit-filled. Spirit-filled living is the third option. Otherwise, you're either going to be legalistic or you're going to be lawless. A good way of seeing this is this, parenting. Some parents over-parent, and some parents under-parent. And I'm not talking about being strict. This is what it looks like. This is how you would define overparenting. Making your kid or your kids the center of the universe. Overparenting is making your kid or making your kids the center of the universe. So what is underparenting? Underparenting is you making yourself the center of the universe. What's the difference? Make Jesus the center of the universe. the only other option. You make Jesus the center of the universe, and he's the only center of the universe. And we could do this with anything. You could make your job the center of the universe. You could make anything the center of the universe. If anything is the center of the universe but Jesus Christ, then you're not listening to the Sermon on the Mount. That's what he's saying. He's saying, I've come, and I'm offering a new way, and it's found in me because I've fulfilled what you couldn't fulfill. I'm not abolishing the law. I still care about what you do and why you do what you do, but you need to be changed from the inside out. And Jesus gave this great thing in John. He said, when I leave, it'll be good that I leave because then I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is what's going to enable you to do these things. The Holy Spirit 
It's going to change you from the inside out. It's called spirit-filled living. (coughs) Living according to the Holy Spirit's leading. So now Jesus cleans you from the inside out, and the Holy Spirit transforms you from the inside out towards what? What is he changing you towards? What is he directing you towards? That's where Jesus' words get really interesting if you're Jewish. I'll read them again. He goes, Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. That's an interesting thing. And as, as Western, you know, like black and white thinkers, that doesn't make a lot of sense. What do you mean there's like more important rules and less important rules? Like some poor, well, to the Jewish people, they would say, yes. That wouldn't weird them out. Things that we think are contradictions in the law are actually not contradictions to the Jewish people. They just understood it. Some were more important than others. Some of the rules that Moses gave were more important than others. Say, what? Weren't they all important? And if I just No, listen. I'll give you some examples. If if you were if you were on the Sabbath, you weren't supposed to do any work, right? That was one of the laws. It's in it's in Leviticus. On the eighth day, one of the signs of your covenant with God is to take all of your males, and on the eighth day, you were supposed to have them circumcised. What do you do? Here's a pickle. What do you do if, if, if on Friday night at sundown is when the Sabbath begins, and, s- and Saturday night at, at sundown is when the Sabbath ends? What do you do if your kid's born on Thursday before sundown? That means on the eighth on the eighth day when he's supposed to be circumcised would be the Sabbath. And he would have to do work. What are you going to do? The Jewish people didn't have a problem with that. They knew that, that being circumcised and, and, and committing your child to this greater covenant with God was more important than following the Sabbath. But some people would argue these types of things. That's why when Jesus is walking through and and he's healing people on the Sabbath, they should have known that, yes, it's important to keep the Sabbath, but people are more important than the Sabbath. That loving people is more important than the Sabbath. That healing people is more important than keeping not working. And that's why they had rules where if you're a doctor, you could work on Saturday. If you were a lifesaver, you could work, even in the Jewish community. Because some rules were more important than other rules. Get that through your head, Western people. It's not a contradiction. It's because there's a spirit of the law, not following the letter of the law. That wasn't his point. He was trying to shape your heart and teach you how to love people. So what is the greatest commandment? It's it's not a trick question. What's the greatest commandment? That's the argument that these people are having. They're, they're, they're trying to say, they're trying to weigh the laws. That's most of the arguments in Jesus' day. Jewish people would argue, how do you follow the law? Well, I don't know. How do you follow the law? Well, how, how strict are you on the Sabbath? Well, I don't know. How strict are you on the Sabbath? And Jesus comes along. Are you guys kidding me? People out there are dying and need to know me, and you're arguing about Saturday? That's why Jesus is flipping over tables. He's like, it's just ridiculous, because it is, if you think about it. Like, from the outside looking in, they're ridiculous. 
That's why you go to Jerusalem and you go in there and there's a Gentile elevator and there's a, and there's a Sabbath elevator. For people who have followed the Sabbath, on, on, from Friday sundown, it's, it's, it's automatically set. You get in the elevator and it automatically stops at every floor. Why? Because pushing the button would somehow be wrong on the Sabbath. So what do these guys do? They wait till a, till a sinner Gentile comes, and they stand behind him, and they walk in, and they go, hey, would you mind hitting floor eight? Right? Is that God's heart? That is ridiculous, right? And that's what Jesus is saying. I didn't come to abolish the law. You guys have just trampled over the law. It no longer makes any sense. The only thing that really matters, he says, is love God and love others. And if you do that, you're following the law. If you do that, you're following the law. So what does it look like to love God? And in Galatians 14, Paul goes, For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now this is an interesting thing because there was two camps in Jesus' day, two rabbis. One was super strict and one was more practical. Hillel was the more practical one. They're still popular uh, today. Hillel was asked one time, a rabbi, he's about 30 years before Jesus. They asked him, they said, Hillel, stand on one leg and recite the law. So he stands on one leg and he says, don't do anything that you wouldn't want anyone to do to you. Don't do it to them. Anything you wouldn't want people to do to you, don't do it to them. So Jesus comes along. We, we know, remember what Hillel said. Remember how tricky he, how cute he was. And they go to Jesus. What's the greatest commandment? And Jesus goes like this. No, I'll take it a step further than Hillel. He said, whatever you don't want them to do, don't do it to them. He said, whatever you, Jesus goes, whatever you do want them to do, do it to them. Whatever you would want someone to do for you, do it for them. This is Jesus' new teaching. It's all about how to love. That's why when they bring an adulterous woman before Jesus and they say, what do you think about this woman? He says, well, obviously she just committed adultery, but I'm not going to condemn her. Are you guys? If you, haven't thrown, if you haven't sinned, then throw the first stone. Right? He's saying you guys are a bunch of hypocrites. You don't follow the law, but she has to follow the law? How come you don't follow the law, but she has to follow the law? The greater answer is, why don't everybody here realize that we're all messed up and you all need me, right? Why are we trying to single out her? Why don't you single yours? Why are you coming to me and repenting? Why are you pointing her out in front of me? Right? That's he's saying, do what's most loving. Do what's most loving. So how does this work? The greatest commandment is love. How does this work? It works like this. First, you need to receive God's love. In order to be a kingdom person and follow this Jesus, the first thing is you need to realize that God loves you. And you need to receive God's love. Because if you haven't received God's love, you know what you're always doing? You're always fighting for love. You're always trying to get people to love you and accept you. And guess what? It leads to dark places. It leads you away. It leads you away from the Spirit. He just goes, let me just settle this right now. You're fine. You're good. You're good with God. 
Now you're free. Now that you don't need to be enslaved to figuring that out, now you're free. That's what Christian freedom is, by the way. It's not just doing whatever you want. It's, it's, it's already been settled. It's already been fulfilled. You're now good with God. You're right with God. You no lo- you're accepted. You no longer have to fight for that. Now you're free. Now you're free. What are you going to do with that freedom? God, help me just love other people. Help me make disciples. You're free because you've already received God's love. After you receive God's love, what's your next response? You love God wholeheartedly. Pretty simple, right? We need, to, we need to know that we're loved by God. And that frees us to, first of all, love him back. And that's why Jesus goes like this. He goes, you love me? Obey my commandments. Does Jesus want us to obey his commandments? Yeah, he goes, if you love me, obey my commandments. What has to be the motivation for it, though? That, you, that, that you're free. You've been so loved by God, he's cleaned you from the inside out, and now the love pours out of you. If you love me, obey my commandments. What else did he say? He goes, he goes we looked at it last week. He goes, now go and make disciples and teach them to obey my commandments. What's the greatest commandment? Go love people. Go, go show people love. Go love people. And then we love God wholeheartedly, and a natural overflow of that is we love our neighbor. We love our neighbor. Go out and love your, you want to follow the law? Love your neighbor. Love God, love your neighbor. We're going to get into a lot of stuff in the Sermon on the Mount. Some of it we're going to deal with is the world says don't judge us. What does that look like? Jesus teaches us about that. We can judge each other. In the church, we're supposed to, but there's a way to do it. The way to do it is like this. We get to know each other really well. We love each other really well. We, we build trust with each other really well. So we know that we, have e- we, we love each other. And now that, that we have trust and we know that we know, love each other, then we can help each other. Hey, you're starting to get off track, and I love you, and I'm going to encourage you. I know you're better than that. Come back with me. We, we bring each other back. And James says if you do that, then you've done a service to your, fr- your brother or sister. But guess what? We don't do that to people who are outside of the kingdom. We don't, we, if you ever wonder, like, is it cool to hold up a sign that says that if, if you're not a Christian and here's what God hates about you? No! It tells you clearly that is not okay. There's a right way and there's a wrong way. We're going to spend all summer digging in. But the real heart of it is, is this. Jesus loves you. We'll have the worship team come back up. Jesus loves you. Could we say that enough times? I have a really hard time hearing that sometimes. Last night I wrestled with God for about an hour and a half because here's what my deal is. (coughs) I've been letting myself get super stressed and it's been affecting who I am. And at work, I've been feeling like, man, I'm not a very good light. How am I going to preach on light? I'm glad Brittany did it, <laughs> right? How am I going to preach on being a light when I'm, when I'm grumpy, right? When I'm, like, like, worrying about things I shouldn't be worrying about. When I'm, like, letting what people do bother me. You know what I mean? It's like, why? And then at home, like, just 
and I was just wrestling with God last night. And I, I literally asked him this, and, uh, and I'm, not, I'm just being honest. I said, God, do you want me to stop being a pastor? Because I don't know if I'm good enough. But where's the real issue there? I forgot where my goodness even comes from. You know what? Jesus loves me. And I have a real, I, I'm, I'm, I'm still trying to, f- like, embrace that. And if you're here and you're trying to embrace that, I think that's pretty normal. If you're like, oh, yeah, I figured it out, you probably don't get it. And I'm sorry to say that, but you probably don't understand really what we're talking about here. I'm talking about a Jesus that loves you no matter what. And he loves you not because you're a champion and you're his little, and, he's, and he, he loves watching your soccer games and you're the best one out there. He, he loves you because he's just chosen to love you. And he's saying, look, I, you know what, what bothers me is it bothers me when you go out there and you try to earn uh, love. He's like, am I not enough? I should be enough, right? And, 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 and once we've settled that, like he, you're, he loves you. You got nothing to prove. That's when you become free. That's what Christian freedom is. That's why it says you're f- if, 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 if the spirit of God is in you, you're free. Because now you know you're free. You don't need to earn anyone's love. You already have it. And now you're free. Free to do what? You're free to go in love. You're free to, you're free to be loved. You've freely been loved. You're free to go in love. So I, I'm just, I don't know how to really close this. I don't know. I kind of got myself in a position where there's no real good ending. So I'm going to pray, and we're going to worship. But I want you guys to, to know this, and I want you to hold me accountable to this, and I want us to tell each other regularly, you're so loved by God. You're free. And wh- what are we free to do? We're free to go out and live our lives loving God and loving others. That's his commandment. All of the other rules, if you follow those, they'll all come into place. And every once in a while, you'll read through a Bible verse and you go, oh, I think I'm getting that one wrong. Okay, well, then deal with it. But, but it's not about going out. We don't, we don't need more information as a church in order to be a better church. You know what we need at this church? We need more Bible studies. Maybe we do. Maybe it would be cool. But it's not what's keeping us from loving our neighbors. Because we already knew that, right? Anyone in here not know that Jesus said, love God and love our neighbors? Anyone not know that Jesus said, go and make disciples? Anybody need that class? We all know it, right? But we're loved by God. We need to stop striving, start following Jesus in the simple things like loving people and being loved by him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father.